Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insight into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. The issue of legalizing marijuana at the federal level has made it into several of the presidential candidates' platforms, and polls demonstrate that an increasing number of Americans support this. Getting far less attention, however, is the federal law that is preventing these legal marijuana businesses from accessing the American banking system. Here to tell us more about this is Thomas Wade, Director of Financial Policy here at AAF. Thomas, thank you for joining us. Kyle, thank you for having me. So first, what is the problem here? Because of a mismatch between federal and state law relating to marijuana and marijuana products, completely legal businesses dealing in marijuana do not have access to the banking services that all other businesses have access to. Imagine trying to run a business without a checking account. Yeah, it almost seems impossible. I mean, what does this mean for most Americans? For most Americans who do not run legal marijuana businesses, the closest you may have come to this issue is in the new craze for adding CBD oil to everything from lattes to your dog's shampoo. Uh, There are a lot of different terms used for marijuana in this space, so it might be helpful quickly just to rattle through some of the different names used for them, uh, although sadly not fun ones. Do so. (laughs) Uh, So by far the most important distinction is the difference between psychoactive and non-psychoactive marijuana. Psychoactive marijuana gets you high, non-psychoactive marijuana does not. Uh, Marijuana and cannabis are more or less identical. Marijuana creates over 100 different cannabinoids, and the most common in medicine is Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, (laughs) and cannabidiol, or CBD. THC is psychoactive, CBD is not. Medical marijuana is not psychoactive. The only other useful term in this space is hemp. Hemp is non-psychoactive and has been used for literally centuries as fuel and fiber and food. Iterations of all of these terms have been used variously in law, which has created some of the problem here. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the divide between the federal and the state in your first answer, uh, law in regard to the law. Um, and I know several states, uh, actually a lot of states, have already you know legalized it in some form. Why does the federal government have to do anything here? What is the root of the cause? I'm glad you made that botany pun. I'm hoping the rest of this interview will be entirely plant-based humor. Um, The medical use of marijuana has been legalized in 32 states and D.C., and recreational use legalized in 11 states. However, at a federal level, the possession, sale, or use of marijuana is still illegal, prohibited as a Class A drug. This state-federal mismatch creates an environment where banks, particularly national banks serving national customers, consider it too risky, either reputationally or from a legal perspective, to provide legal businesses with banking services. Okay, so taking a step back a little further, how big of a problem is this really? I mean, is it only affecting like a few people, a few businesses? What's going on here? Short answer for you here, Kyle. Currently, the legal marijuana business, be it medical or recreational, is a $10 billion industry. It is expected by some in the industry to be worth $150 billion by 2025. And these are all companies that do not have access to normal banking. Mm-hmm. 
what are the consequences or policy implications of the lack of access to normal banking? I mean, there's clearly, if you're running a business, you need access to a bank. Exactly, Kyle. If you don't mind, because I'm a lawyer, I'd like to quickly chat first about what this conversation is not. Mm -hmm. Two things this conversation is not. First of all, it is not about the legality or legalization of marijuana itself. This is specifically about the banking services to which legal businesses have access or not. Um, However, for many, particularly in Congress, that is an intellectual barrier too high to jump. So just as a a fun aside, uh, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions was so opposed to marijuana in all its forms, no legislation even relating to banking services could have possibly gone through while he was Attorney General. And although we can come on to what Congress is doing uh, doing shortly, that was considered the case for many senior people in power, that the conversation about marijuana was considered too heavily charged and too related to, for instance, the opioid crisis in the US to beg any question about legal services around them. Uh, the other thing the conversation is not, and this one is uh, much simpler, is this conversation is not about the effectiveness of marijuana in medical contexts. Right. So if I can, I'd like to put the, medic- the the marijuana part of the question aside and just talk strictly about the banking aspects because that's that's why I'm here. So <laughs> let, let's talk about uh, how all the different players in this are affected. First of all, for marijuana businesses, the very basic, sorry, for legal businesses dealing in marijuana, uh, the very basic issue is that everything they do has to be done in cash. Now, the mind immediately goes to front of house buying and selling of marijuana and marijuana products, but it's actually much bigger in scope than that. It extends to everything from payroll to even paying Mm. taxes. So bear in mind that in Colorado, uh, Colorado last year took in $260 million in legal marijuana taxes last year. And what this means is that we've heard stories in the industry of business owners having to travel across the state with upwards of $3 million in a backpack to go to the one IRS center in the state that will accept cash. (laughs) In addition to being desperately irritating, having large amounts of cash on site drastically increases the likelihood that money will be used for illegal purposes. Uh, In Denver last year, cannabis businesses made up for less than 1% of all total businesses, but had upwards of 10% of all reported business burglaries. And there is much, much, a much greater chance that with that amount of cash on site, that the the money will end up being used for uh, money laundering problems. And we'll come on to that in a moment. Uh, For the banks involved, they can't service these businesses because as a result of being a Class A drug, handling the proceeds from marijuana transactions can be considered money laundering. And in those cases, banks are required to file what are called suspicious activity reports, or SARS. And I'm not going to go into the US's anti-money laundering uh, system right now, although I could at great length. (laughs) Uh, But it is an extraordinarily expensive system that costs banks about $8 billion annually and is not terribly effective. Uh, For the economy uh, more broadly, uh, where marijuana businesses can't bank with American bankers, they frequently turn to private equity or direct lenders, um, not necessarily American. Uh, In the majority of cases, it seems to be Canadian lenders are stepping into the breach. And this is, uh, you know, a business that is currently worth $10 This is a very attractive cake, or in this case, brownie, that Canadian (laughs) bankers are getting a slice of. Yeah, I can't imagine having to travel across the state with $3 million in my, you know, in my backpack or in my car or whatever. Part of me wishes I had those problems. Yeah, well, (laughs) we can all hope. (laughs) So 
obviously Congress is, is doing something about this. That's why you're here talking about it. You've been writing about it. What are some of the, the proposals that we're looking at here? Kyle, I love your optimism in saying obviously Congress is doing something. <laughs> I think many of my colleagues here in DC would disagree with that blithe <laughs> optimism. Yeah. Uh, so very briefly, there are three bills currently on the Hill. A couple of them were introduced in the previous Congress and died and have been reintroduced. Uh, the SAFE Act, the States Act, and the Claim Act. Now, I'm not going to go into these in any great amount of detail, but what I think is really valuable and useful about this is all three of them are bills aimed at making it easier for legal businesses to access banking services because that is the point here it is as uh, forgive me for reiterating myself it is not about making marijuana legal it is simply about making it easier for legal marijuana businesses to run their businesses so for instance the safe act would prevent federal regulators from bringing enforcement actions against banks that serve marijuana companies in states where that is legal the states act actually reintroduced by senator warren very recently uh, would protect states from federal intervention in states where marijuana is legal. Uh, And Senator Menendez recently introduced the Claim Act, which will significantly protect marijuana businesses' rights to insurance coverage. So all of these things are about facilitating the business of marijuana. Mm -hmm. So help my optimism a little bit. What are the odds that anything gets done in the next year? Slim to none. Uh, GovTrack, which is a useful system which tracks the likely success of a right. bill, uh, is currently polling the States Act at, I believe, 4% likelihood oh, of well, moving so ahead. So you're saying there's a chance. There is, there is um, <laughs> statistically a chance. Um, one other thing, of course, to bear in mind is that as we stare into the yawning abyss of August or silly season in DC, there is a very little, there, there's decreased chance mm. of anything happening in DC uh, except for drinking. Um, however, <laughs> I personally see as being quite optimistic the fact that we have had two hearings on this very issue, uh, one a couple of months ago in the House and one just this week in Senate Banking Committee, which I think shows that attitudes on the Hill are softening. And in particular, Chairman Crapo, who of the Senate Banking Committee, who was believed to be a stumbling block towards this issue receiving a hearing, uh, literally and metaphorically, has indicated that he is now he has now joined the very broad bipartisan support that some form of congressional action is needed. Interesting. So now all of this begs the question, is congressional action, and I got to ask, is, is congressional action on this issue a step towards uh, federal legalization of marijuana? Uh, so it's a fascinating question, and one I try to avoid because uh, my role here is really just to look at the banking and financial services policy, right. and I'm certainly not a... Um, a a marijuana expert from a medical or FDA perspective. But for me, as I mentioned, it's very much indicative of a case, uh, very much indicative that opinions on the Hill are softening. And I see a much broadening openness to considering marijuana-related issues on Capitol Hill in legalization of some form. Uh, one thing I would note, of course, is that were marijuana to be declassified as a um, as a federally prohibited drug, this entire issue goes away. So it's funny, they, they will never run parallel with each other. If, mar- if marijuana were legal, there would not be issues with banks providing marijuana businesses with banking services. Mm-hmm. So as this debate gets a little fire under it, I'm sure we're going to hear some of that rhetoric in there. Uh, yeah, exactly. And there's really interesting parallels with both. Uh, one may make the other unnecessary and vice versa. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's put politics aside for a second. Um, 
and uh, talk about something fun about you, Thomas. Um, for those listeners at home that don't know, uh, Thomas is big in the uh, in the theater scene. Um, so I wanted to ask you about about some of that stuff. How how's that going? So I haven't done anything since my last role where I was playing a very drunk judge uh, on stage for the uh, the Gilbert Sullivan trial by jury. My favorite part about the role was that uh, I basically was being paid to stand up and sing. And when I wasn't singing, uh, sit down and pretend to drink uh, amaretto. And I was actually knitting my own wig at the time. Uh, my favorite thing about the performance was that for the first couple of nights, my amaretto was apple juice. Uh, for the last <laughs> couple of nights, my amaretto was in fact amaretto. <laughs> I was going to ask, was it really uh, fake? <laughs> um, but anyways, um, thank you, Thomas, for joining us. Uh, and um, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more on this issue going forward. Thank you very much, Kyle. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. I'd also like to encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes um, from this episode and also follow us on social media to hear more about AAF.